Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, the first chapter, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming." The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Reverend Chambers, for that reading. And thank you so much, Carolyn and Emily, for the beautiful gift of music. We are indeed fortunate and grateful for your talent. I believe that I have been very transparent with you in the past in saying that Dr. Longbonds always encourages us at this moment in the service to say something lighthearted, a joke, or something funny to lighten the mood just a little bit. Uh, but the thing that I've realized after doing lots and lots of Zoom calls and online programs is that I'm not even remotely funny. Case in point, some of you can explain that in the chat box. All right. Well, it is good to be with you all this morning. Will you please join with me in prayer? God, you hold us all in your loving care. In this hour, quiet our minds, still our hearts, that we might be able to hear from your word in such a way that it would transform our lives and your church and your entire creation. Give us courage to respond. May our faith, hope, and love increase because we have heard from your word and desire to follow it. May these words in the meditations of all our hearts bring honor and glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What will it take for you to listen to sound advice, 
when the noise all around you feels like it's too much? What will it take for you to hear a word of hope when there is so much brokenness, grief, and suffering in the world that we've come to know? Can you experience sustained joy at a time when our airwaves are a constant barrage of arguments and insults? Can you feel that you were loved, cared for, and valued when your critics and enemies turn their gaze toward you? You get the idea that these are the kinds of heavy questions that were weighing in the hearts and minds of the Christians Paul is writing to in 1 Thessalonians. Well, you've no doubt heard the old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Through and through, I am convinced that Paul was a pastor and friend who cared deeply about the people he met and ministered to throughout the ancient Mediterranean world. Paul's very being was wrapped up in the cares and loves and pains of those he comes to know in his missionary journeys. In reading his heartfelt letters, it's clear that Paul labored with and shared meals with and suffered with the real people that comprised the churches he planted and cared about. A rather unfortunate misreading occurs whenever we understand Paul's letters as cold or detached words. This isn't how Paul's letters would have been read and heard when they were first received. In his classic guide, How to Read a Book, Mortimer Adler acknowledges that there is one time when people know how to read. Quote, when they are in love and reading a love letter, they read for all they are worth. They read every word three ways. They read between the lines and in the margins. They read the whole in terms of the parts and each part in terms of the whole. They grow sensitive to context and ambiguity, to insinuation and implication. They perceive the color of the words, the odor of phrases, and the weight of sentences. They may even take the punctuation into account. Then, if never before or after, they read, end quote. I would submit to you that when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, it was clear that he loved and cared for those he was writing to, and that his recipients loved and cared for him too. Paul pours out his heart for his friends who are struggling. I believe this is something we need to take seriously if we are to understand the Thessalonians' pains and problems and how Paul sets out to offer comfort by offering caring words of admonishment and encouragement. In the opening words of Paul's letter, we discover practical and faithful counsel for when life gets hard. Later in his letter, Paul will address those who've experienced the loss of loved ones. He writes to reassure those who are grieving that their faith and that their hope for the future are not in vain. The late preacher and theologian Peter Gomes once observed that one of the thoughts that often lingers in our minds could be summed up in the question, 
how can we face the future? Both in Paul's context and in ours, this seems to be the operative question. Paul writes to a real community that is continuing in their Christian faith despite suffering and social opposition. They knew what it was like to live life on the edge. In verses 2 and 3, Paul thanks God for them. He prays for them and he names three specific attributes. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. You might notice that this is the very same triad of faith, love, and hope, though in a different order that Paul uses later in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many commentators point out that Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians transform the routines of daily life. It is not just work that Paul commends, but it's their work of faith. Not just their labor, but it's their labor of love. And not just their steadfastness, but it's their steadfastness of hope in Christ who sustains them each and every day. Paul underscores the fact that hard work and persistence alone aren't what makes a person godly. He is noting the distinctive quality and character of their work. I'm reminded of a line from Marilyn Robinson's beautiful novel, Home, when one of the characters reflects on the kindness that was required when dealing with his difficult son. Quote, kindness takes more strength than I have now. I didn't realize how much effort I used to put into it, end quote. You get the idea that Paul's hearers were actively working, making a conscious effort to be more loving and kinder toward others. They were attentive to their faithfulness. We'll get there in a moment, but there is much for us to learn and mimic in our lives today. Later in verse 6, Paul specifically names the fact that the Thessalonians are facing persecution. Scholars are divided about what this persecution was, but one opinion is that because the Thessalonians were confessing Jesus as Lord, this was putting them in a compromising social environment. Very practically, confessing Jesus as Lord meant a rejection of the Roman civil religion. The classic way of putting it is that if Jesus is Lord... Caesar is not. As an aside, it's probably important for you to hear from your church, especially at this time of year, that regardless of how you vote, your ultimate loyalty, allegiance, and worship should be given to God alone, period. Notably, this loyalty isn't something we should understand to be constraining or disappointing, Following in the way of Jesus means that Christians are called to bring God's justice and peace wherever they go. Being loyal to the gospel ought to mean that we prioritize bringing good news, restoration, and wholeness to a world that knows brokenness. In this sense, the church's politic should always consist of the church being the church. In the strong words of Lee Camp, quote, Christianity shall not bless the way of empire, of the nation-state, or of kings, or prime ministers, or presidents as they march off 
to take up the ways of destroying or slaughtering or lusting or burning or fighting or living in luxury while others live in deep need. Christianity shall no longer be used. It shall first focus on itself and its calls for repentance and call its own to the ways of Christ, end quote. In the early church, saying these kinds of direct and uncompromising words about the way of Christ often amounted to a scandalous witness. The early church just didn't bow down to Roman power in the same way as everyone else, and they often found themselves experiencing social oppression and exclusion as a result. To understand the potential background for Paul's words is here instructive. What we find is a church that was keeping the faith amid social and political adversity. And importantly, Paul also acknowledged the Thessalonians have joy despite their sufferings. I think it's here that we discover another vital lesson. This passage prompts us to consider the character and composition of joy. I would contend that joy for Paul was not a fleeting feeling. Joy was not dictated by whether or not life was going well. Joy for Paul is something more profound. Joy is about aligning and attuning your life with the hope of God that is made known in the life of Christ. This kind of joy is what makes it possible for Paul to sing when he's imprisoned. This kind of joy is what sustains when pain and loss come near. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann once famously asked, How can we laugh and rejoice when there are so many tears to be wiped away and when new tears are being added every day? In answering this question, Moltmann went on to summarize how this same question is just beneath the surface in the popular musical Fiddler on the Roof. It tells of Tevya, the dairyman, and his Jewish congregation in the Ukrainian village of Anatevka. The Tsar is oppressing them with excessive taxation. I actually played the role of the rabbi when I was a freshman in high school, and my favorite line from the show was when I was asked, is there a blessing for the czar? I'll spare you the full reenactment, but the rabbi responds after thinking for a moment, of course, may God bless and keep the czar far away from us. As the plot progresses, Jewish sons are forced to fight in unwanted wars. The Cossacks initiate pogroms against them whenever it strikes their fancy to go after the Jews. And yet... This small congregation of the persecuted and pursued sings the Lord's song in a foreign land. Moltmann questions, are they doing this merely to forget their ugly predicament? Are they only trying to comfort themselves by covering their sadness with happy sounds? Or is there really such a thing as freedom in the midst of slavery? joy in the midst of suffering, and praise of God in the groaning of his creatures. His final conclusion is that joy is not fleeting or circumstantial. Joy was and can be a constant. In this way, joy is much like hope. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul speaks of both steadfast hope and the reality of joy despite 
suffering. In answering how we can face the future, Peter Gomes concluded that hope's greatest power is that it enables the present by embracing the future. You see, hope, like joy, does not deny the circumstances of the present. Hope doesn't help us to get out of our difficulties. Hope doesn't get us out, but it does get us through. And contrary to the street smarts of the age, hope is not the enterprise of the last resort. It is the quality that transcends both failure and success. Hope is not a stoical endurance, although it does help us to endure. But whereas endurance has a certain almost fatalistic quality to it, hope in self goes beyond that which must be endured. Hope allows us to transcend definition by mere circumstances and appearances. In verses 6 and 7, we also find the importance of imitation and example. These two themes are keys to understanding Paul's broader life and ministry. When it comes to Paul, the medium and the message are inseparable. Like the Thessalonians, Paul's life has been marked by adversity, and yet he still demonstrates for the church the content and character of the gospel. Paul is striving to be a living and breathing embodiment of faith, hope, and love. Crucially, he's clear in saying that the source of his faithfulness is Jesus Christ. In other words, you can only imitate Paul and his companions as long as they are imitating the life and teachings of Jesus. Paul's life demonstrates and draws his hearers into a relational matrix, one that sustains even as it transforms. Just as Paul commends his hearers, he too is modeling the example, the modeling the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. He is a part of a broader community that knows how to face the future. And yes, they can find joy even in the face of suffering. What does all of this mean for us? On the one hand, we need to be the church. We need to be united by a common faith. The source of our unity is to be found in the life-giving and life-sustaining work of Christ. I know that all of us are tired of the challenges we're currently facing. There is real hurt, loss, and anxiety in the world. This has always been true, but many people now have a heightened awareness of how hard these days and challenges can be. In sharing a bit of my pastoral heart with you, the fact is that there are members of Peachtree and those in our community who have lost family members and friends due to complications from COVID. And of course, COVID isn't the only cause of sickness and suffering. I'd like to think that regardless of how you feel about what is or isn't wise, that we could first be a community that hurts when others are hurting. There is a difference between making policy and being pastoral. I'm convinced our world needs a little bit more compassion right now, and I'd like to think that our words and actions would seek to provide comfort instead of provoking pain or division. 
It's often been said that the opposite of hope is despair. Time again in his letters, Paul names various kinds of pains and persecutions while at the same time begging his hearers not to slip into despair. I believe Paul's loving pastoral word to us would be a reminder not to be defeated or discouraged, not to lose hope. Paul reminds us to pursue and cultivate a joy that is not contingent on whether the wind is blowing our way. The church is the place that can be honest about loss and suffering even while we cling to a hope that sustains. It might just be the case that some of us have never cultivated this kind of hope and joy before. Perhaps the thin veneer of circumstantial happiness hasn't pressed the need for something deeper. That's okay. It simply means that we still have work of faith to do. And know this, there is a deeper hope and joy to be found. Very practically, we need to be a church filled with examples of lives that exude faith, hope, and love. These are the very qualities that will see us through this pandemic, and these are the very same qualities that will see us through whatever challenges that have yet to come our way. The fact is that we might not all have the qualities at work in our lives as they could or should be, but they are most certainly present among us. Look around and imitate what's good be intentional in, in looking for those who are imitating Christ. May hearing Paul's words today be a loving reminder that we still need one another. We need examples of joy when life is hard and when suffering is real. We need to exemplify a sure and steadfast hope. We desperately need to be the church at its best. When we do this, I'm convinced that we can face the future together. We can come together as a people marked by faith, love, and hope. May it be so with you, and may it be so with us, for the sake of the church and the world. Amen.